It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I think this is time for me to talk and close out a wild week. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade, Joe, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, and for everybody tuning in, our ratings going through the roof, and we appreciate that. This hour, uh, super legal superstar Nancy Grace will be with us. Uh, we got to make sense of how much trouble Mike Bloomberg might be in in Florida, as well as talk about her brand for actually paying thirty-two thousand the fines of thirty-two thousand felons in the hope that they'll vote for Joe Biden. And then we also want to find out about her brand new series. And then we're going to find out how to make your relationship better. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Uh, John and Catherine Gordon talk about their relationship and how it can help you through the pandemic. Let's be honest. There's nobody whose relationship has not been affected, whether it ended, started, or maintained from the pandemic. We want to get their advice from what they went through personally. Uh, their book is called Relationship Grit. So they'll be on. But, of course, we'll have your phone calls shortly. So let's get to the big three. It's very sad to see my hometown looking a lot like Portland. Uh, I think the American people can distinguish between peaceful protests on the one hand and rioting, looting, violence, and shooting police officers. Mitch McConnell talking about Louisville. Louisville protesters continue uh, over the grand jury's decision uh, over the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. As the unrest spreads throughout the U.S., suddenly America's patience for the obstruction and destruction is rapidly wearing thin. A new poll is out. And are they essentially becoming Trump voters because they can't be controlled and the lack of condemnation, despite the damage from the Biden camp? Number two. Barrett's linked to a small, charismatic Christian community called People of Praise. Members are assigned a personal advisor. Men were called heads and women were called handmaids. The group may have inspired the novel and Emmy Award winning drama, The Handmaid's Tale. Are you kidding? Uh, That is a reporter for GMA. Clearly the one, Amy Coney Barrett, is emerging as an overwhelming selection of President Trump. She's the only one to really do an interview that we could tell. And many are right when they think that she thinks the right woman for the job, at least on the right. Another sign she might be the one. The attacks have begun. You just heard it. Talking about her church and herself being the theme behind Handmaid's Tale. When these hearings start, the leather will fly. Number one. He said if it gets to the Supreme Court and they decide Joe Biden won, Joe Biden won. Do you agree with that? Oh, that I would agree with. But I think we have a long way before we get there. Trump has a sell air crowd in Jacksonville. And hiding out Biden takes another day off, making even his supporters uneasy with the debate four days away and election 39 days away. This is controversy swirls on the president's acceptance of a negative result on Election Day. What Trump told us and why Dems and media outrage are once again um, over the top. So that's what they choose to focus on. Not that the president's winning in Florida, not that he is neck and neck in Arizona, not that Martha McSally's within one point of very popular astronaut Mark Kelly in Arizona. Uh, the president, kind of his own doing, because he answers everything honestly what he thinks. He's saying, I'm not really convinced that this mail-in ballots because of this pandemic is reassuring there's not going to be some fraud. 
And what he's saying is, essentially, is, look, in North Carolina, you can now have a ballot that arrives six days after Election Day and be counted. Same thing in Michigan. Excuse me. Check that. 14 days the ballots can arrive late in Michigan. 14 days. Then you have a situation with Ohio. Same thing. You can be delayed. And then you have an up, a lack of updated voter rolls where all of a sudden some of these Democratic governors are deciding the best thing for them to do would be to flood everybody with a ballot and kind of wipe out any sense that you could show up at the polls like what they're doing in New Jersey. So if you're the president of the United States, you're a little worried about this. Wisconsin, you can have, you can have a ballot that arrives six days after Election Day and have it count. Why would it take six days? In Wisconsin— it's never going to take six days. Michigan, as I mentioned, two weeks. Uh, there's a lawsuit now on whether people are allowed to fix their ballots after they send them in. So in Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, voters can drop ballots. You thought so. No. The Republicans say, no, I'm not happy with these drop boxes idea of where you put the ballots. We are only 39 days away, and we still have not decided. Then yesterday, it emerges, and the president alluded to this. In Scranton, Pennsylvania, they found seven ballots on the floor. Uh, nine ballots total. Seven were Trump voters just sitting on the floor. Military ballots were found in a, uh, in a section of the post office, unkept, uh, undelivered. So this is what gets the president crazy. He's not looking to upend the election. And keep in mind, too. Was Al Gore anti-American when he told George Bush in 2000, I no longer concede this election? Is he, was he worried about throwing us into a constitutional crisis? No. Recount in Florida. But because of the president, it's a bigger deal. Look, I think you should be more careful. I would not have brought it up. The way I would have said it is probably the way you would have said it. I said, yeah, I'll accept the election result. But my big worry is that nine of these states are doing uh, flooding every single citizen with ballots. We know the average American moves every two years. We know people have tenants and rentals, and they're always on the move and on the march. And I'm worried about ballots showing up where people don't live or where new people live. They can fill it out in their name. I'm worried about people who want to vote for me who are going to suddenly realize they have to mail in for the first time, and they're going to not check a box, not sign the back, and have that ballot not work. Where, if you show up in person, you have a much higher percentage of that vote actually working. Why not do what Texas did and have more than one day? Why doesn't the president bring that up? Say, I want to provide some funding, uh, whether it's wall money or something else, to allow National Guard to flood into additional poll places so people can, let's say, have less thinned out crowds along more days in order to vote safely. So the president is worried about that. But instead, he comes out and says, I might not accept the result. He's not going to get cheated. I don't know if you heard. Do you see the Mueller report? He was unsuccessfully labeled a Russian collaborator and was going to throw the country over to Vladimir Putin. That wasn't true. The president fought every step of the way, and he, and he prevailed. Today, he's going to be with Latinos for Trump in about two hours. Then he's going to go to Atlanta, Georgia, where he is going to be at a black economic empowerment conference there. Uh, then he's going to go to Trump International in Washington, D.C., and he's going to host a Make America Great Again event. He's doing a lot. Joe Biden is doing absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except, he says, for preparing for a debate. I don't know what he's going to do in terms of memorizing things or why he has to wait till three days before to really blitz this. After 47 years seeing Trump for the last three and a half years, you've been on the, you've theoretically been on the stump for two years. You still have to blitz when it comes to, I don't know, when it, when it comes to these debates. Here's Donald Trump. And was, here's what he said to set everyone's hair on fire. Cut 13. 
So, Mr. President, yesterday you created some news, as you usually do. One of the things you said when asked about if you lose the election, will you accept the result? You said, well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know, I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. Many think you are saying we're going to, you're not, if you do lose, you'll never, ever leave. That's not what you're saying. We just spoke to Lindsey Graham. He said, we have to, we have every reason to contend anything that might be controversial. And I'll paraphrase. He said, if it gets to the Supreme Court and they decide Joe Biden won, Joe Biden won. Do you agree with that? Oh, that I would agree with. But I think we have a long way before we get there. These ballots are a horror show. Uh, They found uh, six ballots in an office yesterday in a garbage can. There were Trump ballots, eight ballots in an office yesterday in, in a certain state. And uh, they were they had Trump written on it and they were thrown in a garbage can. Uh, this is what's going to happen. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And uh, we're investigating that. Joe Biden hears this and said this. Cut 15. What country are we in? I'm being facetious. I said, what country are we in? Look, uh, he says the most irrational things. I, I don't know what to say about it, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, was this irrational? About a month ago, Hillary Clinton, who clearly is almost deranged now after her loss. Cut 17. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Okay. Why weren't people outraged about that? Now, you might come back and say, well, she's not on the ballot. She's got a huge influence in the Democratic Party. When she's talking to us, she's actually talking to Joe Biden. So she's, the, the theory is these votes are going to come in late. Trump's going to win on Election Day, and the votes come in late on, uh, because most of the people asking for the mail-in ballots who ask for them and who get them without asking for them are supposed to be uh, Biden supporters. That's the way the stats read. I'm very light uh, when it comes to uh, I'm not digging in when it comes to these stats. But is this going to be a constitutional crisis? Is America going to fall apart? No. The big story is I think the president is outworking Joe Biden. I think on Tuesday, if he comes out and beats him handily, he will be on an irreversible roll. But I do think he is trailing in Pennsylvania. I do think he is trailing in Nevada. I do think he is trailing in Michigan. I do think that he's much tighter in Wisconsin than the polls uh, are letting on. But I think he's having a lot of success in Florida. I think he's going to have a success in North Carolina as well as Arizona. So when we look at this whole thing, there's going to be another substory, and that is the naming of a Supreme Court justice. And what would that mean for the overall uh, overall complexion of this race? And now that this seat is available, they say it's exercising Democrats to take action. So they take the Senate, take the White House, and can either load up the court or make sure to pick up a, a, Senate, a, a Supreme Court seat before they do. So Mitch McConnell was on with Shannon Bream last night, and he was talking about the theory behind why they did what they did and why it's important for uh, why it was important for him to make sure that this seat was filled by a Republican president in this term. Cut 23. There have been 15 occasions where a president has nominated during an election year someone to the Supreme Court. In eight of those 15 occasions, the president's party was the party of the Senate. And seven out of eight times, they were confirmed. The election is no reason uh, to dodge our responsibility and not go forward 
uh, with a well-qualified nominee. This is entirely consistent with the history of handling Supreme Court vacancies in the middle of presidential elections. All right. Uh, that's Mitch McConnell yesterday. Uh, the Democrats are still mad at him because he held off Merrick Garland, and now he says, I'm going to push this one through. Uh, when we come back, Nancy Grace joins us. Then I'll be joined, uh, find, try to make your marriage a little bit better with John Gordon and Catherine Gordon about relationship grit or your relationship better, let's be honest. And then we'll have your phone calls, one 408 7669 We are watching all breaking news, too, as we look at the market open up 122 points down. Uh, I'm going to tell you when we come back on something that could change that market around quickly. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. So I was in a, in a holding cell with about 40 men. Uh, most of the, the men that I was in the holding cell with were from out of state. We had some folks coming out from Indiana, uh, multiple folks coming from Detroit and Ohio. Uh, they all came in angered uh, off, the, off the announcement. Now, uh, one thing that I kind of you know picked up actually being in the holding cell was uh, a lot of the folks there, the chatter was since they were, they were held in a cell for so long, uh, they said that they are actually not coming out to protest anymore. And if they do come out to protest, they will actually be coming home before the curfew. I actually thought that was kind That's of an interesting thing. Uh, and that was a reporter with The Daily Caller, Jorge Ventura, talking about being arrested, scooped up. He was doing nothing wrong. He shouldn't have been. But he was in a holding cell with all the protesters when they became rioters. But in Louisville, unlike New York, Portland and Oregon, uh, Portland and uh, Seattle, they actually arrest these people, and that was the lesson they needed. And that's why they're maybe not cavalier enough to cause havoc last night in Louisville. That's key. Nancy Grace knows all about law and order. She's Fox Nation host and author of a brand new book uh, called Don't Be a Victim, Fighting Back Against America's Crime Wave. She's also got a great series on Fox Nation, which is at a brand, it's a brand new season. So uh, welcome back, Nancy. Thank you very much for inviting me. Nancy, if you uh, throw a Molotov cocktail at a cop, if you wreck a, a, a building, if you destroy a business, they've been getting away with it. Not in Louisville. How important is it to give them uh, a sense of um, there'll be some justice? Well, let me start by saying I have a lot of anger, like everybody else does, 
about innocent people being attacked uh, in the name of protesting. I, I, I feel, having worked in inner city Atlanta prosecuting for so many years, the frustration on both sides. However, defunding police and attacking innocent people, buildings, business owners, that's not the answer. And Louisville is doing a better job than so many other cities that we've seen that are bordering on anarchy. We agree that Breonna Taylor was a victim. She did not deserve to be shot, killed. She wasn't even the intended target. Uh, the cop was shot at. The cop returned fire. He wasn't the person who shot at the cop was not the target either. It was just an ugly incident. There are no winners. Are you happy with not happy? Are you think justice was served with this verdict from the grand jury on Wednesday? I can tell you this. Uh, I've presented to many, many grand juries, literally hundreds of grand jury presentations. And the grand jury takes the path generally that is presented to them. The prosecutor decides what to present. And I don't mean that the grand jury is made of a bunch of idiots that will just take a swallow anything that's spoon fed to them. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is the grand jury is given a fact scenario. Then they are given charges to pick from, the DA provides them. One of my first jobs at the DA's office was to go through police report after police report after investigation to determine what felonies are you going to charge? What are you going to present to the grand jury? And I would decide what was going to be sent to the grand jury to pick from. And not realizing it could be such a politically charged decision. So the grand jury, I promise you, went along with right. what was given them. And another thing, since nobody asked, let me quickly address no-knock provisions in a warrant. We do not need to do away with no-knock provisions. Let's just pretend that you've got a kidnapper in there with a little uh, seven-year-old girl, and she could be killed at any minute. You darn right you're going to have a no-knock bust in and save that child. Absolutely. So what are you telling me? We're not going to have a no-knock anymore? Think about it. I hear you. Nancy, what are you, what are you going to be doing tonight? You're going to be taking questions tonight on a stream on Fox Nation, correct? Oh, you know that's right. Uh-huh. I sure am. Because of the book, Don't Be a Victim, let me tell you right up front, all my proceeds are going to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And, yes, it took me two years to research and write it. It's a, I worked on, it's a creation of every case I ever investigated, personally took to trial or covered. And it's not just to rehash this. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Stories or tell those victim stories. I interviewed thousands of victims for this book. But to call from their stories what happened to them, around them, what can we do to protect ourselves and the ones we love the most, our children. And I, I really hit it. Let me tell you, I mean, I start with 
First of all, I was going to start with you out safe exercising after meeting with Karina Vetrano's dad. But instead, I started with protecting your child at school, parks, playgrounds, when you're shopping, bathroom attacks. Nobody likes to think about your child being attacked in a public bathroom, nannies, babysitters, daycare. Then I moved to grown people, safe while exercising, shopping, elevator assault. You know what inspired me to write that one? I was on a plane from New York to Atlanta, New York to L.A. for a victims' rights march. I got a call. There had been a shooting at the Fulton County Courthouse. Got off the plane, caught another plane. That all started when a female sheriff was overpowered. Gotcha. So I wrote that chapter so, as well. Nancy, that would be great. We'll watch 7 o'clock tonight uh, on uh, Fox Nation. It's going to be great. Send your, send your questions in, and Nancy will answer them. Thanks, It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Doug, honey, you wouldn't hurt me. Would you, sweetheart? Sweetheart. Be reasonable. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. Uh, that is Total Recall. That is a relationship cut that we've been searching for. Uh, and Pete and Allison came up with that. Good job. We have another relationship cut, too, right? When Harry Met Sally. I have not seen that movie in about 20 years, but you have one that also applies. Why am I bringing up relationships? Because almost everyone can relate to them, whether you're in one or uh, out of one or about to get in one or about to get out of one. Listen to these numbers. Since the pandemic started, people looking for divorce is up 34% year to year. 31% of couples admitted lockdown has caused irreparable damage to their relationships. Interest in separation during quarantine, that's from April till today, increased 57%, which is a perfect entree to our next guest. It's my privilege to bring in John and Catherine Gordon. They co-authored a great new book out. It's called Relationship Grit, How to Get Through These Times. Uh, They are with us right now, and the grit stands for something. G for God, R for resolve, I for invest, and T together. John and Catherine, welcome. Thanks for having us. Hey, Brian. Now, let me ask something. Did you know, did you write this knowing that a pandemic was coming at some point? We actually wrote this before the pandemic. (laughs) We had no idea this was happening, but Obviously, it's very timely that it would come out right now with so many people struggling through their relationships and and through their finances during this time. Catherine, the thing is, and you stop me, I don't know if you can relate to this directly, but you certainly do it indirectly. Everyone's lifestyles change, whether you're working from home or lose your job, whether your kids are usually in school and now they're home. How does that change the dynamic of a relationship suddenly, abruptly? Well, I mean, you're with each other 24-7, so you're, lear- you're having to learn how to get along. And it's funny, we have a running joke. John always says, how do you like being married to me? And I always say, before or after the pandemic. So, <laughs> And the answer is? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's still good. It's still good. We use the principles in the book. So, John, you, you're a, a motivational guy, motivational speaker, and very successful writer. It's not new for you to release a book, but this is about you guys, too, and you want people to learn from it. First off, how did you get the acronym GRIT? 
it came to us in the kitchen. We were talking about this book we were going to write together, and it just came. We knew that you had to make God the center of your relationship. You had to resolve to stay together. You had to invest in the marriage. You have to invest in the relationship. Don't just consume from it. You have to invest in it, and you have to do it together. If one person wants it but the other doesn't, it's not going to work. So we knew you had to have grit in a marriage. You had to have grit to stay together, and then the acronym just came to us. Has the relationship always been smooth sailing, Catherine? Oh no! As you'll read in the book, I mean, we've 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 gone through a lot, um, you know, and we were on the verge of divorce. I I had kicked him out and told him I'd had enough of his negativity, and uh, from there we've kind of worked our way back. We had some infidelity and some other things that were weaved in there, and you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. If we can stay together, anyone can do it. And how did you do it, John? I know the grit. I know the acronym. I, I get it. But tell me yeah. how you did it. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to write this book because I had to share all my flaws, all my mistakes. Right? People see me as a writer and speaker now. They see my success. But I had to share where I started and how I changed. And when Catherine gave me that ultimatum, I looked at myself, and I, I didn't like myself. I wanted to be a more positive person. I wanted to be a better person. So I started to work on being positive. I started to be a better husband. And honestly, my faith changed me as well. I came to faith. In, in 2006, and that was a huge part of my journey to become a more positive person. So I would say that was the number one thing. But I also learned how to serve my wife. Like it wasn't about me. I had to start serving her and my kids. And that really changed. Once I changed the mindset from being a narcissist, which I was, to how can I make the team around me better? Mm-hmm. Catherine, what if you like being a narcissist? Because I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that a, do I have to change? <laughs> well, you need to ask your wife that. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you're probably not the right person? Okay. No. Right. So, so you, in other words, but let me ask you, but relationships are always changing, right? When you first met, you're different. You're younger for the very least. Usually people, a lot of times people had kids, get a bigger house, more financial responsibility. You do other things. Jobs, careers change. How do relationships evolve rather than end? Yeah. I think you evolve by finding the things that you like to do together, by making sure that you're communicating, connecting, committing, and caring. We talk about the four C's in the book. You got to stay communicating in the relationship because then you will go further and further apart. You have to make sure you're taking the time to connect. Catherine loves to talk about that in the book on ways to connect. And then you have to be committed to each other and, and do things to sacrifice for each other, like being a narcissist, right? It's, it's not about you. It's about what is the other person want? What do they need? How can I serve them and sacrifice for them? It's like these little moments where we make time for each other. That's what actually makes a successful marriage, all the research shows. And then also just showing that you care. Like when, when Catherine needs something, if I'm too busy for her, it, it says I don't care. But if I make the time, it lets her know I care. Right. And uh, Catherine, is anything he said true? It's all true. <laughs> okay. It's all true. <laughs> I thought so. I just wanted to trick you. New, <laughs> listen to this stat. You probably don't know this. We asked it for our brain room. It says, newlyweds took the pandemic the hardest. 20% of couples who sought divorce were married within the last five months or less compared to 11% in 2019. Early on, that's a big test. So when things get turbulent, if you're from a divorced family, you might be quick to bail. Hey, what's wrong? Yeah, my family did it. My brother did it. If you're used to it, it becomes too natural. Is, is the easy way out the right way out? You know, I think what that boils down to is fear. Well, you know, when we're in these kind of situations, it boils down to fear. Can I 
provide for us? Am I going to keep my job? And so that's where it's important for couples to be vulnerable with each other. Share your fears. Share what you're struggling with. Listen to each other. And that goes back to which is the first um, or the second C, which is connect. And, Brian, it's during those times where the early part where it's so easy to walk away, right? You're not really bonded. You're not really connected. You haven't really made a commitment. And we see so many couples when they're young, when it's hard, they walk away. And that's why we wrote this. We want to say stay together because Catherine and I really have a great marriage now. It wasn't great in the beginning. But it is really great now. And you get all the joys and the benefits and the intimacy of a great relationship when you decide to stick, stick it out. And what about how do you factor in the kids part and keep the relationship going? Well, I'm the product of a, a divorced family, and so, so I, I do think it's important to make sure that you're investing in each other first. Like, the marriage has to come first. You have to be together and be a strong team together to then work on your kids. Like, your kids are your projects, and you are the team that have to work on your kids. So it starts with you first having a strong foundation. What this time has realized is, do you have a strong foundation or not? And if you had a crack in the foundation before COVID, I really believe it became a canyon during COVID. And so it's about healing the cracks that exist. Catherine, would you say that sometimes uh, people should seek professional help, get an outside opinion? Yeah, absolutely, because not everybody, I mean, we're not all good communicators. Normally there's one of you in the relationship that is better than the other, but sometimes neither of you are. And that's why I always say, you know, reach out, get some professional help. It'll go a long way. We did early on. Yeah. And and you have to go pick uh, pick somebody that's going to be equal. You don't want to be like, you know, I thought about it. John's 100% right. then he's paying the bill number one number two is to keep in mind i thankfully we didn't have to go through it uh but divorce isn't easy you may think you're taking the easy way out i've never heard someone say wow i want divorced it really went well everybody i know it's, it's a traumatic event to end a marriage it's it's almost easier to make the marriage work such a great point brian it is it's easier if you stick it out, but sometimes it's a lot harder to actually do the work to make it successful. I think it's easy to walk away, but it's actually harder in the long run. It's harder to do it, but then it's better in the long run when you stick it out. But you're right. Divorce is not good for, for anyone, and no one really wants to. Now, we do say in the book that not everyone is meant to stay together. If you're dealing with abuse, if you're dealing with certain situations, maybe you are meant to be apart. But you should do everything possible to work it out. So don't give up before trying everything possible to work it out. And Catherine, I'm going to start, I'm going to end where we started. You said before, after the pandemic, and you're very funny. I've met you before. I know how, what a great wit you have, but what changes about a relationship when you are in an in, in, uh, indescribable situation of being with each other constantly, it could be really rewarding, but more importantly, it could be, it's almost a brand new relationship. Uh, you're home at 12, you're home all day, you're on the laptop, uh, you can't really go to restaurants, you can't, you know, in the beginning, and depending on where people are listening to us around the country, maybe you still can't go to restaurants, you can't go to the gym. So you're with each other constantly. At the very least, everything changed. How do we address the change? Um, again, it goes back to communicating. And one of the things that John and I did was we found things that we could do together, and then we try to give each other the space, even within our home, you know, John working out of the home now also, to do what he needs to do. So it's about keep, you know, keeping separate but staying together. 
if that makes sense. And you also talk about how things evolve. Kids get older. They have different needs. Some need to be financed in college. Some need to be a little help to get on with their careers. But things change with you. You went back and you reignited your career in real estate. You you produce movies. You always you you mentor people. So be cognizant. Things aren't going to naturally happen. You got to take action, right? You do have to take action. And, you know, the thing about this book that we say, you know, and with going back to marriages and, and heading for divorce, look, if you don't do the work this time, you'll have to do it in your next relationship. So take the time. Take the time to work on your marriage. And right now, with us all being home, it's even harder. So, so it's, it's got to be a priority. You've got to make your relationship a priority. And it's about making sure you invest in yourself as well. Like you were saying, Brian, like Catherine really started investing in herself. During this time, she was doing her own thing. I was doing my own thing. So we were, even though we are in the same space, we were also doing our own things. And then we'd come together. But most arguments occur within the first 20 minutes that a spouse or a partner would walk in the door. So it's also important to have that buffer zone where you give each other space to be yourself, get centered yourself, and then come into the relationship to be your best for each other. I never heard that before. The first 20 minutes when you walk in the door, that's the, mo- that's the time in which you either hit it off or fight it out? Yep. The most fights occur during that time. So that's why we always say, like, when you come in the door, t- you know, change your clothes, get your own space, take some deep breaths, whatever you have to do to, to be your best for the other person in that time. All right. And, Brian, for yeah. us, I, I knew with John he had to eat. He was a bear if he didn't eat. So you just would stay away until you heard the refrigerator unsuction. <laughs> I'd hand him a plate of food. <laughs> uh, eat this, then talk to me. Yeah. Right. Hey, instead of talking about other things you can't control, like politics and elections and Supreme Court justice seats, what about something you can't control? And that's your relationship. This is a great book to really help people out. At a granular level, uh, relationship grit and the G R I T stands for God resolve invest uh, together. Guys, thanks so much. I think you helped a lot of people just now. Thanks, and, Brian. And we also just so you know, we have a free action plan. If they go to relationshipgritbook.com, there's a free action plan they can use. All right. We want we want to help people, and we appreciate you doing that, Brian. Thank right. you. Yeah. And thank that's good. you. And we are going to be so ready for the next pandemic. Thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. one 408 7669 Get on board. We are following uh, events as they happen. The president's got about four or five today. He's going to be addressing uh, his Black Economic Council. He's going to be doing that. He's also going to be at uh, Doral. He's going to be talking to empowering Latinos. And then he's going to be coming back to Washington, going to his Trump hotel, and he's going to be talking to some supporters. He is sprinting to the finish, and he is blitzing to Tuesday, not slowing down at all. We're also watching the dramatic uh, ceremonies as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body is put into a hearse, leaves the Capitol building, and be going to the cemetery. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Helen comes home from work and she says, I don't know if I want to be married anymore. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, right. Next day, she says she's thought about it. 
and she wants a trial separation. She just wants to try it, she says. But we can still date. Like, this is supposed to cushion the blow. I mean, I got married so I could stop dating. So I don't see where we can still date as any big incentive since the last thing you want to do is date your wife, who's supposed to love you. Which is what I'm saying to her when it occurs to me that maybe she doesn't. So I say to her, don't you love me anymore? You know what she says? I don't know if I've ever loved you. <laughs> That's not a great conversation, right? Uh, that was from Harry Met Sally, Bill Crystal, who was talking to? Meg Ryan. Oh, Meg Ryan, who married e- John, Cougar, John Cougar Mellencamp, I think, either that they're dating. I'll take your word, but I can't believe you forgot everything about that movie. I did. Uh, Meg Ryan, who was what one, you know, she was the hottest actress in the country at one point. She was amazing. Right. Uh, I think a few things happened. We're not really sure why, but I think it's evident. But uh, I will say, I will say this: that is that would have been perfect for the segment, but it's even better now because we just talked about relationships. People might be able to relate to that more than they can what they see on television every night. Well, I agree because they're living their relationships every day. What you see on right. television, you're not actually living. You're just getting annoyed about it. Isn't that true? Isn't that a point? You tell me if I'm wrong here. There's a point where you, you can be too honest in a relationship. And I don't think there's any reason to say, I don't think I've ever loved you. Like that will never, you know, there's honesty and there's honesty. Yeah, well, I, I, I changed. It's me. <laughs> right? That's that was just cruel, right? To say it like that. Yeah. I'm overly honest, so I think that's where we might disagree. You might say you actually might say that. I don't think I. Well, I hopefully I'm never in that position, right? But um, or I'm not obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, that was mean. I feel like there would be a better way to say that. And actually, Pete just corrected me. He wasn't talking to Meg Ryan. He was talking to Bruno Kirby at the Giants game. Right. Pete oh, is that's our right. Expert. That is excellent. He probably knows it because Pete's a Giants fan. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Talk about relationship. Uh, we know New England Patriots owner uh, Robert Kraft. His wife passed away a long time ago, and he decided in between Super Bowl weeks, I think it was, or right after, uh, to do something in a massage parlor. And he was prosecuted as if he was uh, uh, the the worst thing that ever happened to the country. I thought they went way overboard. And I think somebody else agrees. They cleared him of charges in that massage parlor sex case. They're not going to be able to use any of the tapes. And not embarrass him. I'm biased. I think he's a great guy, an unbelievable person, incredible businessman. What he's done with the Patriots and his, the rest of his life, I think he had a transgression. But that was a massage parlor. I think the two. You don't have to separate. comment. You like, you know. I, no, but I think he can be a great person. All of those, and I think he can also make a mistake and have redemption for it. Next, Senator Dianne Feinstein's husband named, and get this, the UC Berkeley admission scandal. He's knee-deep in this stuff. I hope it comes out more. It's crazy. Right. And they're also worried about, this is not on my list, Dianne Feinstein might not be up to tough questioning. Isn't that unbelievable? And congratulations, us. Fox News Media has earned a designation as a 2020 Great Place to Work certified company. So we won this competition. And would you agree, even in this crazy environment, don't you agree this is a great place to work? It is. I will say what, one of the highlights, right, was being very family friendly and good benefits, being able to, you know, take time off to be with your family, which given the fact they just had twins, I've appreciated thoroughly. Well, that's a, that's a very good point. And that came from the heart. And I believe everybody was listening. Great job, Allison. Hey, go to BrianKillMeatShow.com. If you ever have to leave your local affiliate, you can listen uh, listen in anytime. And if you want any of my books signed, 
I worked at some of my local bookstore where if you need a personalized, you just go to BrianKillMe.com. The one that's hot now is Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback. But you got Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, George Washington Spies. Can't go wrong. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Montana Senator Steve Daines. He's in a one-point fight uh, to keep that Senate seat and might decide the balance of power in the Senate. Man, so much at stake when you think about it. And Geraldo Rivera is standing by. Uh, He was just contributing to our show on television. Always love having him on. We have a lot to discuss. And, in fact, I'll surprise him a little with what people are saying on other channels about what the president it intimated that he's going to be unsure about the final verdict when it comes to Election Day because of all these blanketed mail-in ballots in nine separate states that people are going to get ballots they didn't request in addresses they might not be at. Why wouldn't you be upset by that? But, of course, the president does it in a way that incites the world. So let's get to the big three. It's very sad to see my hometown looking a lot like Portland. Uh, I think the American people can distinguish between peaceful protests on the one hand and rioting, looting, violence, and shooting police officers. Uh, That is Mitch McConnell talking about the violence in Louisville. The protests continue over the grand jury's decision on the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. As the unrest spreads throughout uh, the U.S., suddenly America's patience for the obstruction and destruction rapidly wearing thin. Are they essentially becoming an ad to reelect Donald Trump? Number two. Barrett's linked to a small, charismatic Christian community called People of Praise. Members are assigned a personal advisor. Men were called heads, and women were called handmaids. The group may have inspired the novel and Emmy Award winning drama, The Handmaid's Tale. And may not have. I never saw it. But can you believe that's how they're describing the, the church of Amy Coney Barrett, which, by the way, she doesn't go to anymore. She's emerging as the overwhelming selection for President Trump. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the viciousness of the attacks and how that plays into November 3rd. Number one. He said if it gets to the Supreme Court and they decide Joe Biden won, Joe Biden won. Do you agree with that? Oh, that I would agree with. But I think we have a long way before we get there. And that is the president of the United States talking to us yesterday right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, president Trump has a sellout crowd in Jacksonville. And Hyden Biden takes another day off. Even his supporters are uneasy as the debate is now four days away and Election Day 39 days away. This is controversy swirls as the president's acceptance of a negative result on Election Day. So let's bring this to Geraldo Rivera. He knows him as good as anyone. They're basically peers. Uh, they came up and were famous at the same time. Although Geraldo's dad did not have as much money as Donald Trump's dad. Did I insult you? My dad came in uh, literally on the banana boat, the United Fruit (laughs) Company freighter bringing bananas from Puerto Rico. He was one of the passengers. They had 12 passengers each each trip. So a a humble beginning, Brian, but... uh, uh, I, I did rub elbows with the president at various stages of his ascension, uh, most famously in Celebrity Apprentice. I, I appreciate his humor. I appreciate his, uh, his flamboyance. Uh, I do not appreciate his playing around with the maybe I'll leave, maybe I won't 
you know, if I lose, I think that it's uh, it's giving MSNBC and uh, the New York Times uh, fever dreams. And, uh, you know, it's so easy for him to say, uh, you know, just put it this way. Uh, if the uh, I want to make sure these ballots are legitimate. I want to make sure that everything is reviewed. I want to make sure that it's a fair, full election. But, of course, I'll uh, honor the results uh, just as every president has done since 1792. You know, so just say something like that rather than uh, feeding this uh, this frenzy. They they jump on anything. Everything he says is construed in the most evil way possible. Uh, he's the most unfair press of any president in the history of the republic. But why uh, why aggravate the beast when you don't have to, Brian? Exactly, because he just got some great poll numbers from Florida and good numbers in uh, Arizona. He's come back from a, maybe a five or, or eight point deficit. Uh, according to Washington Texas Post, too. WABC. Yeah, and Texas up by five. So just to your point, you probably didn't hear this, but you know Thomas Friedman. He's on CNN, and he said exactly what you just said. Cut 21. I began my career as a journalist covering Lebanon's second civil war in its history, and I'm terrified to find myself ending my career as a journalist covering America's potential second civil war in its history. You this really believe terrible. that? Yeah, I, I think what happened in the last few days um, is a six-alarm fire. I think it's DEFCON 5. The president of the United States has told us, either I win the election or I delegitimize the election. Those are your choices, folks. And he basically is trying to break people's will to really get people to say, what the heck, <laughs> he wants it so bad, just, you just give it to him. Um, I, I think this is, this is certainly the most frightening moment in my life. Um, it's frightening because of him. It's frightening because he's backed by a state-owned network. Um, and it's terrifying because the Republican Party has become basically a political brothel that rents itself out um, by the night to whoever will energize its base. Geraldo, have at it. Well, I, I, I like Thomas Friedman. I have over the years. I, I share with him that experience in Lebanon uh, uh, the Civil War that started in 1975. I uh, spent a lot of uh, years there in various battles uh, as that uh, ebbed and flowed. A very, very sad story. He wasn't really talking about Lebanon. He was talking about us becoming Lebanon. And I'm shocked that he would be that hysterical. I really am. He, he uh, Usually a, a, a sober-minded, uh, middle-of-the-road uh, person, uh, pro- you know, progressive, but uh, not radical in any way. He's a Midwesterner, uh, Thomas Friedman. And, and for him to suggest that uh, the United States is on the verge of civil war is, uh, is an embarrassment. Uh, it is uh, an outrageous overstatement. We are a divided nation. Uh, but this whole notion, uh, based on what, uh, you know, uh, 15 knuckleheads with uh, weapons at a protest uh, and a counter-protest, this is, uh, uh, you know, we have enormous law enforcement capability. We have a, a wonderful uh, yeah. National Guard and, uh, you know, reserves. But and rather, number one, we're not a state-owned network. If you just watch our channel, no, every cool. show that's is cool. different. And every every single other network has turned their guns on the president 24 hours a day. There's not one show that swims against the stream on CNN or, or MSNBC. Not one. I don't even that's think true. they have a pro-Trump person on a panel because if they're too effective, they never get used. And they pay them not to work. So for Thomas Friedman, of all people, to say the president's being the president, the same way he always acts, he does things to incite people. You wouldn't have said it the way he said it, but his point is the same as Al Gore's. I am retracting my concession, George Bush. I'm fighting it out in Florida. 
Was he a anti-American? Was he unpatriotic? Or was when he lawyered up and we didn't know who was going to be president for seven weeks? Was he doing something that was going to destroy the republic? I can't watch those other channels anymore because they're so melancholy in their predictability. And for Joe Scarborough and, and Bill Maher also in his show, pushing the same line about Trump's not leaving. Uh, you know, but although I agree with everything you said and I admire your passion and you know how I feel about the president, he's being a brat. He really is, Brian. I mean, we can't you can't in our anger at the uh, at the self-righteous propaganda spewed by Thomas Friedman just now. You can't overlook the fact that the president could fix this in the snap of a finger. He could make the same points. Uh, you know, it's, he doesn't want to I, – I think that the danger to the Democrats is that the African-American vote will, one, be disheartened and disillusioned and, uh, uh, you know, uh, fearful of bl- the black-on-black crime and the lawlessness in the inner city and their neighborhoods going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and the other point, there will be some – principally young black men who say Biden takes me for granted. Uh, Trump is a, is an enterpriser like I want to be. Uh, you know, Trump is his own uh, hip-hop artist in, in, in his own style. Uh, you know, he, he is the one I identify with much more than with Joe Biden. So if he gets that up to double digits, like 10, 20, well, not 20, but he'll get 10, 12 percentage of points of the black vote. I mean, he could really run the table because the white people are so energized. I mean, I'm in Ohio now. It's it's, it's 50-50 again, the Buckeye State. Uh, But I have a sense that the energy is all on the Trump side. I may be wrong. You know, my wife is so fervent in her uh, support of Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, But I, I don't see her passion you know, uh, same as yours right. in the population. So definitely. at 240 today, the president's going to have a council, the Black Economic Empowerment Council. It's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. He gets it. He hears you. He also the Latino vote is definitely resonating with him. But let me just tell you what has me worried, because it's going to delay any decision. And it's got under the president's skin. I worry not about post office workers, but there might be some um, there might be some up there for doing bad things. But for the most part, I'm looking at North Carolina. They've extended the time in which they can count ballots for six days. Wisconsin, six days. Michigan will wait two weeks while counting. The, they will wait be to, uh, before issuing a verdict within reason. But they're going to wait two weeks. Pennsylvania and Ohio are arguing right now on where voters can drop ballots. Drop boxes have both parties at each other's throats in those two key states. And nine states will mail every citizen a ballot, even though they didn't ask for it. And these are battleground states, almost every one of them. That drives me crazy. And if not, there's congressmen and women up for those seats, even if it's firmly red or blue, especially in California. That, that's what the president sees. And he heard about those other eight ballots that were found uh, stuck in a waste paper basket. All were Trump votes. I believe, however correct you are, about his intense uh, skepticism about the process. I am old enough. Remember, my first election that I paid attention to was Kennedy-Nixon 1960. 
where Richard Daly purportedly had the dead people in Cook County, uh, Illinois, Chicago, voting twice uh, at the behest of uh, JFK's dad. You know, there have been stories of flamboyant election fraud throughout our history, but generally speaking, I agree with the FBI director the other day. There's never been proof of a massive fraud at the federal level True. at an election. But can they handle and, it? And we have to have faith in the process. And there's at every polling place, you, you have a Democrat, Republican represented. Uh, it's it's a bipartisan process. We have to have faith in the okay. process. How about we have this? To talk up the process rather than talk down. We, the process. we know that horrible person. Uh, uh, Donald Trump. He's not so sophisticated like Al Gore and Hillary Clinton. Nobody would ever say something like that. Not neither one of those two would ever say something like we're not going to accept the election result. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Okay. Forgive forgive my and I don't want to sound sexist, but. The tone of that remark from the former first lady, former secretary of state, former senator from my home state of New York, uh, Hillary Clinton, the the shrillness of it uh, is so off-putting that that is exactly what I worry about now. We can't be her. We can't have that. That malignant cynicism that we don't <laughs> rather she, let's reinforce right. but she got the a process pass rather than denigrate she, the process. Well, I let's, hear you, but she gets a pass. Say, let's have more poll watchers. Uh, let's have uh, yeah, we'll have more uh, resources rather than less resources. I think that what has to happen is, and this is you know, retail politics is one thing, but and, and, and you know, the guy called, Friedman calling us state TV. The word's got to get out. People have to be motivated. 39% of the elect- American, elect- American electorate did not turn out last, uh, last election in 2016. We've got to get back to 2008-level turnouts. We've got to get people motivated. Uh, you know, he's got to talk positive. I like what he's doing with the prepaid cards uh, for prescription drugs for the elderly. Uh, Puerto Rico getting $13 billion finally to restore the electrical grid and uh, reinstitute or reestablish the pharmaceutical industry that made it a middle-class island. Uh, Now it's an impoverished island. He's doing that. He's taking care of the various constituent groups in a way that is is measurable. It's important. And gotcha. I want him to emphasize the positive and let <laughs> no, you know people like us. We could take we take shots at uh, you know at the disorder in the communities and and so forth. But I I think that he's got to emphasize the positive and kindness and decisiveness and not be the the kind of he doesn't. I never want him to sound like Hillary just sounded. Gotcha. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, debate on Tuesday. Hopefully, I'll talk to you after you'll be in Ohio. I'll uh, be here. Yeah, and be there for Chris <laughs> Wallace if he needs you. Yeah, okay, right here in Bill Hammer, too. Okay, good. Geraldo, thanks so much. All right, Brian. All right, we're going to find out the balance of power in the Senate. Uh, Steve Daines at the bottom of the hour. But I want to hear what you have to say. I know we've had a long week, an intense week. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. To uphold the laws of our land, 
And to uphold our Constitution as written on Saturday, I will be announcing my nominee to the United States Supreme Court. You know, uh, they don't want us to do it. The Democrats say, you shouldn't do it. Why? We have a lot of time. Let me ask you the one simple question. If it was them instead of us, do you think they'd do it? I think so. President just having a great time last night uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Minnesota. He just and he's going places people don't normally go. I know people go to Jacksonville before. He's got to maximize the vote there. And and I think he'll deliver. Uh, Lewis is listening in Boynton Beach, Florida. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Brian. I mean, great pleasure speaking to you. I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you. So, number one, I'm a canvasser in Palm Beach County, of, you know, lifelong uh, uh, involved in politics. The Republican Party inside number 41.3% for Trump in Palm Beach County. I want to make a point. The Hispanic community in the United States is 18%. The African-American community is 13%. Another thing, 48% of Hispanics voted in 2016. If it rises up by 5% to 53%, and if the Hispanic vote goes 40% or better for Trump, he gets the Electoral College. And then the final point that I wanted to make is that there is a survey in Breitbart which stated that a vast majority of Hispanics do not like the term people of color. I heard that. that that's the aggregation of both communities. And also, a vast majority don't like uh, the, the, what's going on in the streets. Uh, that's interesting. Those are two things that are self-inflicted. The Democrats didn't act. It's an easy thing to act on. You're against violence and destruction. It took them three and a half months. And, you know, Biden is quick to react now, condemn the shooting of two officers. But I'm, I'm not buying it. Kamala Harris bragging about the fact that she is she's uh, ra- rallying people to bail out those who were arrested for rioting in these cities. And Joe Biden has 13 staffers doing the same thing. It made it very easy for all these police unions to say Trump's my guy. And Kamala Harris being invisible, self-inflicted wound. She's very charismatic. She's very confident. She's very bright. What she doesn't know is the issues, but she could put that in the prompter and go appear at a decent-sized rally while Joe Biden studies for the debate. And she doesn't. I don't get it. And then with the Hispanic community, the president's making some big inroads. Why? Because Barack Obama's Cuban policy was terrible for Cuban-Americans. And the Venezuelan policy is great for Venezuelan Americans. And the president's got stronger ones for both. And a lot of those communities have settled in Florida. Back with uh, Senator Steve Daines in just a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The balance of the Senate at stake. He'll tell us the inside story to success. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. There's nothing inappropriate about filling this vacancy. Many Supreme Court vacancies have been dealt with in a shorter time frame than the time frame between now and the election or the time frame between now and the end of this Senate, which is at the end of this calendar year. There's nothing extraordinary about the situation, nothing unusual about the situation. They don't like what happened. 
I understand that. They've been block voting against all of our judicial nominees anyway. They're threatening to do one thing or another, but they were already threatening to blow up the Senate by getting rid of the filibuster, to admit two states, district and, uh, and the district and, and Puerto Rico, and they were already threatening to pack the Supreme Court. We've heard all these threats before. That is uh, Mitch McConnell last night with Shannon Bream talking for the first time about his decision or, or actually in an interview setting about his decision to push the president to fill that Supreme Court justice seat, despite uh, in the last year, Barack Obama preventing him as majority leader from even having Merrick Garland, his nominee, heard. How does Steve Daines feel about this and how will that affect him getting six more years in that Senate seat as he goes against uh, Governor Steve Bullock, who had a failed attempt at being president? Senator Steve Daines, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. First off, your take on Mitch McConnell's jujitsu here. Well, uh, he said it very, very well. Listen, the the way it works in the Constitution is the president, the president nominates a Supreme Court justice, and the United States Senate either will confirm that justice or reject it. That's what happened back in 2016. Uh, President Obama nominated justice, too liberal for us. We rejected that nominee. President Trump ended up winning Montana, by the way, Brian, by 20 points. And he's nominated, uh, he will nominate a great conservative justice. And I'm looking forward to confirming that justice. And, Brian, we need to get this done before the election. So are you worried, when people thought about you and Cory Gardner in close elections, in tight situations, that this would hurt you? It would help the ones in red states like Kentucky, and South Carolina, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, but hurt you. Why don't you feel it'll hurt you? Well, first of all, Brian, when I step back, you know, I was 28 years in the private sector before I got involved with public service, before I, I ran for Congress. These are moments um, that you wait for and look forward to in terms of why you leave the private sector to serve in public office. These are moments that will change the direction of this country. So first and foremost, I look at what is best for this country. Second, then we'll look at the politics behind it. And the politics here, uh, maybe the best way to uh, to summarize that is, is an article that was on the front page of one of Montana's largest newspapers two days ago. It said simply this, Justice Ginsburg's vacancy puts the Second Amendment on center stage. What's at stake right now is the Second Amendment. What's at stake right now is putting a conservative justice on the court. She, she will be a young justice, no matter who the president picks. He said it's going to be a woman. It's going to be a conservative. It's going to be a young conservative. This will affect literally this nation for the next 30 or 40 years to protect our fundamental constitutional rights. It is, a, it is an honor to be able to. He'll be part of this process at such a moment like this. Sometimes you really don't know who he's going to pick. It's pretty obvious he's not going to see Barbara Lagoda in Miami, even though he's there right now. And he already interviewed uh, Amy Coney Barrett. So would you be comfortable with that pick? Absolutely. I I just um, I think uh, if he picks Amy Coney Barrett, I believe that uh, she's going to make a terrific justice. And remember, she had already been vetted before. She went through the, the circuit court nomination process, and and this culture war that the left has launched uh, on this country. Uh, here you're going to have, if it is uh, Judge uh, Barrett, here you have this uh, great Catholic mom, uh, a mother of, a, of two foster children as well from Haiti, 
I'll tell you what, I will be so proud to watch her go through this process and to watch the far left, the liberal mob, try to vilify her. You make no mistake, they're coming after her just like they came after Kavanaugh. And I'll tell you, she's going to have she's going to have Republican senators standing shoulder to shoulder with her, defending her, fighting off the mob, moving forward through this confirmation process. And it looks to me, Brian, as if we, we will have an up or down vote on the floor of the United States Senate the week before the election. And I cannot wait to go back to D.C. and cast a vote for this next great justice. So in almost every poll, you're up by one or two. Obviously, it's within the margin of error. Uh, In a state like Montana, the president won by 20, but he only leads Joe Biden by seven. What changed? Well, first of all, uh, the polling data that we're seeing right now is the same as it was back in 2016. These are the leads he had in the polls back in 2016. He ended up winning, winning by 20. So I think these polls tend to under um, underestimate the president's support. And I'm a numbers guy, Brian. I'm, I'm a chemical engineer by degree. I, I like to look at numbers, do quantitative analysis. I can tell you, as we look at polling data from four years ago to this very moment, four years ago, late September 2016, President Trump's polling data is about right where it was, up about seven to nine points where he was then is where he is now. He ended up winning the state by 20. So I'll tell you, we still have a tight race out here in Montana. This is going to be a plus or minus two-point race for this U.S. Senate seat. What happens here in Montana, the U.S. Senate, will determine who is in majority control as we look at 2021. If this, if I lose this seat here in Montana, we lose the majority. I hold this seat we're going to hold the majority. And so we need the help of great patriots all across our country to make sure that we keep this Montana Senate seat in Republican hands. So where is the virus now? I understand that it is ticking up with you guys, correct, per capita? It is. Yeah, it, it, it is. In fact, we just moved into the percent COVID infection rate. I think we're in the top 10 now in the country on a per capita basis. So uh, we're seeing, like a lot of other states, unfortunately, are seeing is, is a spike now in COVID-19 positives. So how, why is that? Um, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's we're starting to go back indoors more. These Montanans, we've been social distancing since 1889, Brian. You know, we know how to stay outside, <laughs> stay away from each other. <laughs> you know, we, we, we like to hunt and fish and get out in the mountains. And, uh, and, and, and what happens in the fall, of course, people start coming back together again. They're back inside more. Uh, folks are back in school. The universities are back in session. And uh, you know, as we kind of enter what we call this quote-unquote flu season again, when temperatures start to cool off, people are back inside, there's more close contact, and we're starting to see uh, higher positive rates. When you uh, look at the president, uh, he says some things that's driving people uh, crazy because he keeps saying that I am not uh, fine with the results. He's very upset about these unsolicited mail-in ballots. And he was on with us yesterday, said if it got to the Supreme Court, he would accept that. But he's really not happy with the fact that uh, you have nine states who are just going to mail, look at their voter rolls and just mail people ballots and basically tell them if you show up, they're going to be provisional. Cut 14. People get a concern about a constitutional crisis if you or Joe Well, Biden- remember crooked Hillary Clinton a week ago. She said to Joe Biden, don't concede under any circumstances. Do not concede under any. Never concede. OK, now, you know, nobody does a story about that, right? But she said that last week. You covered it. Right. And the words were, don't concede under any circumstances. Well, it's okay for her to say that. But if I say, well, I want the ballots to be fair, uh, they make a big deal out of it. It's not right. It's just the same old double standard. So, you know, the president's got a unique way of putting things here. Would you like to see him back off that? 
Well, we all lived through the nightmare, remember, of 2000 in Florida with the Bush race, you know, the dimpled chads and everything else. And remember, it was the Supreme Court that ultimately put an end to that uh, that fiasco. That's why it's so important, Brian, that we get this next justice on the court before the election. We don't know what's going to happen post-election. We may have three, four, five states that could have issues in a close race in terms of who who, uh, who wins those races. And that's why a 4-4 court would not be a good thing. We need to have a 5-4 a court coming into uh, November. So the bottom line is, is there is going to be um, a, a resolution on, on these races. Uh, there's going to be a peaceful transition of power. I think the left one gets everybody worked up on some of the comments the president has made. But it's very important we have integrity in our elections. It's one of the most important parts of our of, of, of our democracy. And at the end of the day, um, I'm confident we're going to be able to work through this. We, we may have all mail-in ballots here in Montana. We had we had all mail-in ballots on the primary in Montana it was June 2nd. Guess what, Brian? We figured it out. We made it work. In fact, I got more votes than any candidate, a statewide candidate in the history of Montana. We found that Republicans, particularly conservatives, were very energized. And uh, we didn't know where all these ballots, as, as we saw them coming in, we don't register by party, so it's hard to tell, is it Republicans or Democrats showing up? When, when it was time to count the ballots, guess who it was? It was Republicans who were very energized, and uh, we had a very, very good night. All right, so you're confident in the mail-in ballots you in know, Montana? I, I am. We, 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 we found a way to do it here in Montana. Yeah, you guys know how to do it, like Oregon. Yeah, we, we, we had two, two-thirds of, Mon, of uh, Montanans are going to vote absentee anyway. Now, now, there's a difference between an absentee ballot and a mail-in ballot. The problem you have with some mail-in ballots is that you, mail-in ballots will get sent to an address where that person you know, may not live. And then you exactly. might have an apartment where you have four or five ballots come to the same address because they've been churning over and over with mm-hmm. a change of address. That, that's one of the concerns. That's why it's very important as we go through the election administrators, right. we've got to make sure they match the signatures to those mail-in ballots. But I'll tell you, if it's going to be a mail-in ballot in Montana, if that's tied up in court right now, I'm confident we'll, we'll find a way to make that work. And I'm confident we're going to use that and have a, have a great night of victory there as well on November 3rd. So a lot of people around the country need help. Uh, they need help from the federal government. They need another rescue package. And nothing's been done this summer. The $3.4 trillion was a joke that the Democrats put forward, and, and they're beginning to pay the price for that. Why do I know? Because I saw an insurgency among Democrats looking to combine with Republicans in the House to move forward. And then Nancy Pelosi said this. We came down a trillion dollars in our $3.4 trillion bill. Uh, then we offered to meet the Republicans halfway. We still haven't heard back about that. But you know what? Since then, the needs have not decreased. Because the president is, again, disdainful, if not contemptible, of science, we have not reduced, in fact, some of the uh, needs in terms of the coronavirus are increasing. Uh, we need more mo- related to that, more money for education, and uh, we need more so money. So for- uh, she's met with Steve Mnuchin. I don't think her, her and Mark Meadows hit it off, chief of staff. What are you hearing, Senator? Well, there's not going to be a package moving through between now and the election. Wow. Uh, and and, and the, the bottom line is this, Brian, is what Pelosi and Schumer are trying to do is they want to use one of these COVID-19 packages as a vehicle to bail out liberal states that have fiscal challenges and have been spending more than they've been taken in. States like New York, Illinois, and California. And I can tell you what. 
I'm going to be fighting on behalf of Montana taxpayers who do not want to see Montana taxpayers bailing out these liberal states. That's what's going on right now with Schumer and Pelosi. Think about this. We passed that targeted – I should say passed. We voted on that targeted Republican package here a couple of weeks ago. It's over $500 billion. You know, Chuck Schumer called that an emaciated package. <laughs> When's the last time $500 billion emaciated? Brian, that's close to nearly half the total discretionary spending the federal government in a year. And so we've got to maintain fiscal sanity at the same time realizing there is a need to move forth another package, but it should be targeted gotcha. to help these small businesses right now that, are, that are, are struggling, as well as continue to move forward on the vaccines and these drugs and therapeutics, helping our schools and our hospitals. I mean, that's all part of what Republicans are standing for now. And, and lastly, liability protections. We've got a trial lawyer pandemic going on at the moment. These trial lawyers running around suing and settling just to make a buck, taking advantage of schools and hospitals and businesses, that's got to stop as well. Absolutely, Senator, because so many CEOs just wrote to the mayor and governor of New York, of all places, and said, you got to give us liability insurance. We're not going to bring people back to work. They can't afford to be sued should someone turn up positive. And and we understand that. You know, if you're being negligent and that's a bad situation, there, there are some tools to be used against your business. But nobody will do that in a free market. You're not going to come back to a sweatshop. We're past that, especially with so much at stake. Uh, but if you're going to be sued by everybody looking to cash in uh, from the receptionist to the vice president, it doesn't pay to take the risk. They'll stay at Zoom, and these economies will never get better. Lastly, Senator, you're running against people who call a moderate governor, a moderate Democrat. Is that how you view him? <laughs> no. Um, Steve Bullock is a liberal Brian, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, his true colors were exposed when he ran for president. He, he got an F, an F rating from the NRA. I have an A+. Plus. Let me tell you something, Brian. When you're out here in Montana and you get an F rating from the NRA, you got to try pretty hard to get an F. He called for a ban on semi-automatic guns, which would mean Montana's going, what? Did we just see the governor of Montana say that? He supports raising taxes. Of course, I want to cut taxes. He, he, he was opposed to the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, he supports a carbon tax, which would just kill our natural resource jobs here out in Montana. And, you know, he called uh, he, he called on uh, President Trump to uh, to step down. He supports the impeachment of Trump. In That's fact, it was, it was about a year ago. He says, I'm a single-issue voter. I want to see Trump removed from office. So there's nothing moderate about Steve Bullock. He is too liberal for Montana. And the contrast is I'm going to stand to protect our way of life out here in Montana. All right. Go get him, Uh, Senator. You're pumped up, and you're going to need uh, all the energy you can get in a sprint to the finish in a very tight race. Senator Steve Davis. By the way, Brian, i got to give a plug here. We need help here. We're we're a smaller population state. Help from your listeners would go great at stevedanes.com is our website. SteveDanes.com. We need help. Literally, the liberal mob is pumping in millions of dollars, particularly after this uh, Supreme Court announcement. And so we're getting outspent two to one. We need some help here from our patriots around the country here to pull this race through. So, Brian, thank you. You got it. Go get him, Senator. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with you in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
It was just announced that the annual New Year's Eve ball drop in Times Square will be going virtual this year. And I'll say this, canceling New Year's Eve is a great call. Yeah, I said it. I learned my lesson with 2020 from now on. I'm not celebrating a year before we get to see if it's good first. Yeah, we should see how 2021 goes, then decide whether or not we want to throw it a party. It's pretty funny and pretty accurate. Uh, it's been a terrible year, right? It it's has been, been awful. 200,000 people died. Cases are going up here. Second wave in uh, second wave in, in Canada, of all places. And now we have the civil unrest. Agreed. And Justin Ginsburg passed away. The election's crazy. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, it really is. A, it's, it's almost, I mean, it is comical. It's just like how many more things can happen. At the same time, I do try to look at the glass half full, and you got to live life, and it could be a lot worse. Right. Oh, yeah. You had a good year. <laughs> we did you have birth twins. to twins. Yeah. That's good. And the twins are healthy, right? They're healthy, and I will say the pandemic, the timing of everything has worked out well for us personally. <laughs> so <laughs> You feel bad saying that, but it's true. It's true. Very true. But can we talk about what you just posted on your social media account? Sure. Um, with your the brothers, um, what, the Nielses that play for MLS now? Yeah, so this is uh, one of the most unique stories that you're going to hear more about once fans can go to the games. But uh, you know how hard it is to make in the pro in anything, especially Major League Soccer, the fastest-growing sport in the country at the pro level. It takes like $300 million to get. A player I coach, an incredible family. The oldest son was an All-American at Georgetown. The other one, a full ride at Binghamton. He was the number one draft pick of Houston. And then the kid I coached since the time he was eight, his name is Sean Nealis, now starting for the Red Bulls. His younger brother by one year, Dylan Nealis, starting for Miami. David Beckham drafted him. And this week they played against each other in New Jersey. The only thing missing was fans. So I posted the picture of these guys. I rather I coached Dylan a couple of times, but picture them instead of 6'4 and 6'1. Picture them, I don't know, 4'11 and 5'1. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, if you want to know the Africa, the, the strategy to get African-American support, uh, Pastor Daryl Scott is helping Donald Trump with that. He's got a brand new book out. Uh, he's going to be talking about that with us. Surely the, he's doing has the president's got an empower, business empowerment, black empowerment uh, conference going on shortly, too. And he is uh, started a day in Miami, but did not meet with a contender for the Supreme Court justice seat. And Shannon Bream is waiting on deck, so let's get to the big three. It's very sad to see my hometown looking a lot like Portland. Uh, I think the American people can distinguish between peaceful protests on the one hand and rioting, looting, violence, and shooting police officers. Louisville protests continue over the grand jury's decision on the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. As the unrest spreads throughout the U.S., suddenly America's patience for this obstruction and destruction, rapidly wearing thin, will tell you the newest poll. Number two. Barrett's linked to a small, charismatic Christian community called People of Praise. Members are assigned a personal advisor. Men were called heads, and women were called handmaids. The group may have inspired the novel and Emmy Award-winning drama, The Handmaid's Tale. Do you believe this? 
clearly the one. Amy Coney Barrett is emerging as an overwhelming selection of President Trump as she's the only one to interview. And many on the right think she is the right woman for the job. Another sign she might be the one. The attacks have begun. You just heard it. Comparing to The Handmaid's Tale, a church she doesn't go to anymore. When could hearings start and who could emerge first from another Trump pick and who does not? Number one. He said if it gets to the Supreme Court and they decide Joe Biden won, Joe Biden won. Do you agree with that? Oh, that I would agree with. But I think we have a long way before we get there. Trump has a self uh, has a sell out crowd in Jacksonville and hiding out. Biden takes another day off, making even his supporters uneasy with the debate four days away. This is controversy swirls as the president refuses to accept on its face an Election Day result. What Trump told us yesterday on our show live and why Dems and media outrage are once again in the red. And with that, let's bring uh, bring in Shannon Bream. Shannon, a little bit of outrage that the president's a little uneasy about the result of the election because of these mail-in ballots, the unsolicited mail-in ballots, specifically in nine states. People are losing their minds on this. Well, you know, listen, uh, I think the distinction is when you have a reporter lobbing up the question in a way like, hey, if there could be violence and not peaceful transfer, uh, what do you think about that? And you know, I mean, maybe the president's trying to articulate, listen, we're going to use every method and means we have in the courtroom or anywhere else uh, to fight against this thing. I'm not just going to roll over. I think that's the way the president takes the question. I don't think he's advocating for a non-peaceful transfer of power, but he needs to be more clear about that because any wiggle room that you leave is going to get him attacked. I mean, yeah. he knows better than that. And maybe, maybe he likes stirring things up, as I think you and I know he likes to do. Sometimes. Right. But he did get some good uh, polling results. And you would think that maybe he could uh, would focus on that because it's very easy to say, I am. I have a team of lawyers that are going to be looking into the battleground states, especially about these ballots, because we're very convinced that people are going to be very confused. And maybe we'll do what Texas is doing. Texas is having a multiple day opportunity to vote in person. So that's a good opportunity. And also, I think Democrats will realize, Shannon, that more ballots can be expelled because it's so easy to make a mistake on mail-in ballots as opposed to showing up in person. Yeah, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how will the U.S. Postal Service handle this. They said, listen, we we handle hundreds of thousands of, I mean, millions of pieces of mail uh, every day. This is something at Christmas time, it's way worse with Christmas cards and holiday cards than it is during an election. They say, we're ready for this. The real concern I think a lot of people have is the boards of election in all these different counties and places that are going to have to sift through these ballots. Do they have the manpower for this? Um, Not, you know, very few states have done this. Some do widespread mail, and that's the way they do it. It's the primary way of getting things in. Um, But the vast majority of states don't. And there's a concern that these boards of uh, election are going to be able to handle um, a a totally different volume potentially this time around. Yeah, I'm in Virginia. And, you know, you can go vote in person early. You can ask for an absentee. There are a lot of options. And uh, I think people have options. They should know what they are in their particular state. But just know that it, it may be the county boards that are the ones that are overwhelmed in the aftermath of this. I want you to hear this soundbite and I just show you how extreme it got because you're really busy at night doing your show. Thomas Friedman was on another show. Cut to He's from uh, he obviously he's from uh, New York Times. Cut 21. I began my career as a journalist covering Lebanon's second civil war in its history. And I'm terrified to find myself ending my career as a journalist covering America's potential second civil war in its history. You this really believe terrible. that? Yeah, I, I think what happened in the last few days um, is a six-alarm fire. 
I think it's DEFCON 5. The president of the United States has told us either I win the election or I delegitimize the election. Wow. You're your witness. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it. We have uh, lawmakers here on Capitol Hill who are asking for international observers to come here to the U.S., and to police and watch over our uh, our elections because we need international observers to make sure that there's not a coup or, you know, any hanky-panky going on, that kind of thing. I think a lot of Americans feel like uh, when it comes to democracy, we are a, a republic. But when it comes to the actual democratic action of people going and voting, um, we've been doing it for a couple centuries, and we seem to do it well. Um, listen, this year is going to be different. When you have a state judge in a place like Michigan saying ballots can be counted up to 14 days later, I mean, you're going to leave yourself room for some trouble. If this thing gets close at all, um, this is going to drag out, and I fear that we will have a reason to Bush v. Gore. So uh, I'll fast forward to uh, I just thought it was way over the top from someone who should be a little bit more level headed, even though he despises Trump. Please. A civil war. If you just met him. Yeah. (laughs) If you just met the president, you might say, wow, I can't believe he said that if George Bush said it. But the president does that. And, you know, his exact point, but he could be much more precise in language that means so much. So let's fast forward to the other big story. Brianna Taylor, the verdict comes down. One cop charged looking at five years max and not for shooting her, but uh, for the wantonly shooting that uh, could have injured somebody. So it's not the verdict that they wanted. And Benjamin Krupp, the attorney for the family, seems to be everywhere in every incident, just said this. And we question what evidence did Kentucky Attorney General send to the grand jury? Did he tell them about the probable cause affidavit that had a lie on that affidavit, which was the basis for which the judge signed this no-knock warrant in the first place to allow them to be at Brianna's apartment and bust open her door? Because if he didn't send that, my son, well, what did he argue on Brianna's behalf? Uh, I don't know if he knew his microphone was working, but uh, Shannon, he wants to know what the grand jury was sent by the attorney general. Is that the way it works? This is why grand jury proceedings are so different than a regular courtroom. You can bring in witnesses and evidence and testimony and, and all kinds of things you could not do in a traditional court of law because – it is the initial fleshing out of a case, the, the presenting of evidence uh, to consider potential felony charges against these officers. So it's done in secret so that witnesses can be forthcoming and so that um, people can see all the evidence they can to at least make that initial determination about whether they, there should be charges. Think about it. We have a witness who said, uh, backs up the police, that they uh, identified themselves, that they knocked. That's probably a neighbor. You would have to be somebody close to hear that. Does that person having testified that information presented by a written statement, do you want that person's name out there? I mean, there's a reason that grand juries are are secret, so that you can get that kind of information to people when they're making a decision. Um, Benjamin Crump and I went to law school later. He knows about grand juries and what can and cannot be disclosed. Now, he can fight fight in court to try to get – Wow. Um, so it's public, but that's going to be a very, very, very rare situation. Yeah, it's a little disturbing. Here's two. We have, we have more? Okay, that was the one. So you know where he stands. But doesn't it sound familiar, Shannon? 
they weren't happy with the Mueller report, so they want the grand jury testimony, and they said they wanted to do it, and they challenged to get the grand jury testimony, which is supposed to be top secret. Thankfully, it was repelled. That's what Democrats tried to do in the past. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like you didn't get the end result that you want, you're going to go back and try to dig something from that grand jury report. You have no idea what's in there, what they heard, but you're going to be looking for nuggets that, that help your side of the argument. Um, I think that it's difficult when you go out and say these things publicly at a time when there's a lot of unrest. Um, certainly her family is grieving and they are hurt. People supporting her wish that there were different charges. I mean, even Senator Tim Scott, who said, listen, nobody needs to be out there writing. That's not how we bring about change. He said, I'm disappointed. I don't really understand how they got to this place and that, you know, the wanton endangerment charges are the only things that we got. So people have questions about it. Um, But lawyers know you're not going to be able to make grand jury information public. It's just not going to happen except in the most rare case. All right, uh, Shannon, we're going to listen to your show tonight at 11. uh, If that's okay with you. I would prefer that you do, although I know you're usually partying pretty heavy by that point on Friday night. Right, but we're not allowed. As Americans, we're only allowed to power, uh, party outside with masks in an open-air tent. Okay, well, send me pics. You got it. Shannon, thanks so much. Fox News tonight. one We're going to talk about uh, what the president right now is uh, meeting with Latino voters in a Florida roundtable in Miami. It's essentially for him to up his uh, Latino support in Miami. Uh, he's doing that now. We'll dip in if he says anything of impact. He also likes to take questions. And we talk about everything in the news, not just about what the president wants to talk about. So that's going to be we might dip into that. And the bottom of the hour, Daryl Scott. Uh, he talks about his years with the president at his side, and he'll be there every step of the way. Brian Kilmeade Show, busy Friday. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. You know, I hear these fools on TV talking about defund the police and things like that. We need police reform and prison reform and things like that. Because you know who ain't going to defund the cops? White neighborhoods and rich neighborhoods. So that notion they keep saying that, I'm like, wait a minute, we just going to leave. Who are black people supposed to call? Ghostbusters? When we have crime in our neighborhoods, we need police reform. But like I say, white people, especially rich white people, they're always going to have cops. So we need to stop that defund or embolish the cops crap. And that is uh, Charles Barkley. And what happens is sometimes I put up the phone in the break it, my other television goes up, but that is Charles Barkley on TNT last night. I know here they're in the, uh, the NBA Finals. They're talking about Game 4, and then they take a break on the Breonna Taylor, and they all weigh in. Remember, uh, one of these guys walked off to show that they were, uh, they were upset about another uh, verdict. And then Shaquille O'Neal said prior to that, and I'll just paraphrase, he said they had a warrant. They did knock, even though it was a no-knock warrant. And they went in, announced themselves, and it was a tragedy all around. And he was fighting because he knows the legal system. And then you heard what Charles Barkley said. They want to reimagine the police. But they are actually cutting police around the country. Whether you use the term defund or not, they are defunding it. In Seattle, in Portland, in New York, they took a billion dollars out. And in other places, in Minneapolis, they're using 
This guy, I think it's Minneapolis, they're using a guy who his background is as a pimp to start working the streets to find out what the real problem is, and then he's going to tell the cops. Feel better? Doug, listen on KLIN in Lincoln, Nebraska. Doug. Yeah, Brian, great show. Thank um, you. My curious is, I'm curious about is why is this attorney so bent on trying this case outside of a court of law? Is he afraid he's going to lose or he's got the information and knows he's going to lose? So you're talking about Benjamin Krupp, who's the attorney for Brianna Taylor's family, who just got $12 million in a civil lawsuit. They say there's no justice here, and she, he's doubting the integrity of the attorney general of Louisville. And, and, and he, go and ahead. He's trying, he's trying to try the, this, these officers in the court of a public opinion before they even go to court. I, I hear you. He's trying to vilify him further. I, I do get the sense that this doesn't feel like George Floyd-ish, where you have the cops. The other, the other guy, the, the cop, the main cop, is, is going to have a problem. I can't imagine him getting off. But the other ones, one's on three weeks and did nothing. And the others, they're going to have a stronger case. We're going to deal with this over and over again. When the incident happens and then when the trial happens. Uh, Benjamin Krupp seems to be everywhere. Uh, Joe in Iowa. Joe. Hey, thanks. I've been waiting for about a week, and I appreciate your show. And you got to sell your energy pills because you got more energy than 20 people. Thank but you. my point is, uh, all these uh, political people that uh, should be in, on trial or should be prosecuted, they never they never come to light. That never happens. Are you hearing me? Oh yeah, I hear you. Uh, you never nothing ever gets done, and I know you people report it, and I appreciate that you do. But it's just a big circle, and it goes on and on. If I did one tenth of what they did, or if you did that, you'd be locked up. You'd never see the light of day. But Hillary and her family is an example. She's not the only one. And then, uh, like this Hunter Biden, him and his father and the family are thieves. I mean, come on. I mean, if you have what? to, you have to take a look at that Ukraine report. report. And I'm going to really dive into it over the weekend. And it really looks much worse than I ever could have imagined. Uh, what he's done in China, uh, what he did in Ukraine, his link to a Moscow mayor of all things. Meanwhile, the Barack, President Obama is counting on the vice president to set up his Ukrainian policy. He says, I knew nothing about that. And that should be brought up. Because at the same time, the attorney general of New York is going after everything Trump-related, including dragging the vice president, Eric Trump, into uh, court for a subpoena to justify loans he got years ago. Why did the IRS pick this up before he ran for president? Oh, I remember. They weren't interested then. Guess what? And thanks so much for the call. The unrest that we see in the streets. I believe it's an ad for re-elect Trump. Now I'm starting to get some backup. The Associated Press and NRC, Center for Public Affairs Research, finds now that only 44 percent of Americans, that 44 percent of Americans uh, disapprove of the protests, where 39 percent approve. So 44 percent are against it. 39 percent are for it. What's the difference? In two months, it was 54 percent approval after George Floyd. But after this constant harassment, and you see people who are just outside eating because not a lot inside, and you see these thugs come up and demand to eat their food, grab their beer, start hitting drums in their head, forcing them inside, forcing them away, those are ads for President Trump. Around the country yesterday, you had what happened in Kentucky. We know that. 
Then we have in New York, several hundred protesters marched through the streets. They stopped up a bridge. In Philadelphia and St. Louis, marchers shut down highways. Uh, In Massachusetts, they called up the National Guard as a precaution. In St. Louis, as they occupied several lanes of a freeway, they also had the governor of Missouri call up the National Guard. In Seattle, a police officer slammed over the head with a bat. Is that okay with you? Not with me. Gordon, WLKS in Florida. Hey, Gordon. Yeah, yeah. The um, thank you for taking my call. The president is is technically correct to to say that he would not accept the results unless it was thoroughly reviewed. But his optics are stupid and horrible. And I want to help, Mr. President, if you're listening. What you should be doing is saying Hillary Clinton refused to accept her results, and she's advising uh, Joe Biden to do the same thing. And so, everyone, you should get off of my butt. And another thing on the USPS, his optics there was horrible. Uh, and he was saying, cut the funding, cut the funding. What he should be doing is acknowledging that, that there's problems, but cutting the funding for something like that, even if it needs to be done, is horrible. He needs to think about these things unless yeah. he wants to win. I hear your frustration, Gordon. You want to support him, but he's getting in his own way. I hear it. We did ask him that, and he did bring up Hillary Clinton. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Maybe he's going to be great at the debate. You know, he's been doing it for 47 years. Somebody said, oh, he won't do well at the debate. I said, I think you're wrong. He'll do fine. He's going to do fine. They'll give him a big shot or something and he'll go out there. He'll have a lot of energy. He'll have energy. He'll be like uh, Superman for about 15 minutes. (laughs) Uh, That's the President of the United States yesterday at a huge event in Jacksonville. Right now he's doing a uh, a Latino event, a roundtable. He is in at Doral Country Club. He was in Miami yesterday. He did not meet with another one of those contenders for Supreme Court justice. That tells you a lot about the chances for Amy Coney Barrett uh, and her chances of being the nominee. I think it's basically done. Tomorrow at 5, it'll be official. She's already been a finalist, already had an FBI check. And I think in a couple of weeks, they'll start the hearings after she'll do her tour amongst Republicans. But that cat is out of the bag. We'll see if the Democrats have any moves. If he makes any, uh, if the president makes any announcements that we need to know, we will uh, break in. But let's bring in uh, Pastor Daryl Scott. Uh, he is pumped up for a very good reason. His book is now out called Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies, and the Struggle um, uh, struggle for America. Uh, he talks about his relationship with the President of the United States. He's also co-chair of Black Voices for Trump 2020. Uh, Daryl Scott, welcome back. God bless you, Brian. Thank you for having me, man. No problem. It was nice talking to you on television. Good to have you now on the radio. So, uh, Daryl, the President of the United States is going to have a uh, is going to have an event today. And he is trying to get the African-American community excited. He's trying to get, even though it's sad in the big picture, but it would be empowering in, in, the, in the short term. He's trying to get to 20 percent of the black vote. If he can get 20 percent of the African-American vote, he will win this election. Today at about 2.40, he's going to make remarks at a black economic empowerment. That's really what you write about in your book. And that's really what you want him to resonate with with your community. Absolutely. I mean, this is a plan that he and I, I, I've actually been able to contribute to it. Uh, It's something we've been working on for several months now, and he's going to roll it out today. The platinum plan, uh, economic empowerment for the uh, minority communities. You're talking about five hundred billion dollars in commitment 
because he's trying to close the wealth gap. Three million new jobs, 500,000 new black-owned businesses. I'm giving everybody a sneak preview. You're getting it right here first on Brian Kilmeade's radio show. Increased access to capital in the black communities by almost $100 billion. There's a a whole lot to it. Uh, There's a police reform component, Second Step Act. You know, we had the First Step Act, but a Second Step Act component. We're talking about jobs for ex-felons and uh, opportunities for clemency and expungement, home ownership, manufacturing jobs, health care, tailored health care. Black churches will be given the ability to compete for federal resources. It's a huge, to me, it's the most comprehensive plan for blacks and minorities in America, in American history. And what role did you have in drawing that up? And what did you realize from being on the ground, knowing it's like to open up a business and knowing the headwinds African-Americans sometimes feel? Well, you know, we had a number of discussions uh, revolving around plans for urban America. And my main contribution was access to capital. You know, we had a school choice component to it. We had another component about the black community, improving the overall condition of the black community. But we realized that a lot of the lawlessness and a lot of the crimes that are committed in, through, and by the black community are financially based crimes. And we realized that if we can provide access to capital and improve the overall financial condition of the black community, that would go far in eliminating or uh, solving some of the other problems, such as depressed living conditions and, and, um, uh, and, and, and bad areas and different things like that. So we felt access to capital would be a huge piece. They're going to be partnering this administration with the CDFIs, the minority banks, the black-owned banks, to provide capital for blacks, access to capital for the black community so that this playing field can be leveled. Because a lot of the complaints out of the black community is the lack of funding, the lack of finances. And so we're going to do what we can to help solve that problem, bring prosperity to the community, opportunities to the community, and to be fair uh, in in its dealings. I'll give you an example. And and this was birthed out of, you know, when the PPP loans first came out, the black community complained that it was underserved. And it was a legitimate complaint that the – that the uh, administration acknowledged. And the reason they were underserved is because the banks chose to do business with their constituents first. And so we've had discussions with Mark Meadows uh, about adding a component, a set-aside amount exclusively for minorities in this next round of PPP funding. And then with this platinum plan, there's a contingency in there for the black community as well. So So that's that's important. You you point out. A lot of people say, well, uh, African-Americans are Republicans or conservative, but they're with this president, but they're just blacking out problems uh, between uh, or blacking out the fact there's still discrimination in this country. If there's a bank that you walk into and if I get a loan, if you and I have the same credit rating and the same background, I should not be ahead of you in getting a loan because I happen to be white. Right. We want to level the playing field. And you know what? I have news for you. And I could speak from this is that no one even asks uh, the white community this. But there's nobody I know that doesn't want to label the playing field and wouldn't you sacrifice or, or do anything to level the playing field. You just can't get my attention by wrecking a city. You can't, if I own a deli and you destroy that deli because of racial inequities, 
You're not going to get my attention or my sympathy, and you're certainly not going to get my support. And that's what bothers me so much. We had a great conversation going, and all of a sudden things started blowing up around us. So we just took our stuff and we went home. There's no more Tim Scott, any type of police improvement. You know, we're not talking about any type of uh, racial justice. We're going, how do you stop the next protest from becoming a riot? Here's what Herschel Walker said yesterday. I asked all the African-Americans out there, what did Obama do for the African-American community? You know, nothing, that's one nothing. thing I asked the question. And, and you know, I did, see today nothing. And, and I see today when Ms. Obama say so many negative things that there's so much racism going on. And, I, and the question I asked there is, you two were the most powerful people in the world. What did you do for it to change anything? Quit pointing fingers at an AG that did the right thing. He went by the law and pointing the fingers at the people in Washington that won't change and do the right thing by going by the Constitution. Who happens to be black. And he's talking about the the Louisville AG. Yeah, and he's absolutely right. You know, um, I talk about it a lot in my book. There are several things I talk about. Herschel touched on a few. I can remember back in 2011 when I first met Donald Trump. He was considering running in 2012, and he told me then that he believed unemployment, underemployment, depressed living conditions, and bad schooling contribute to the overall disparity of the black community, and that if he was elected president, once again, this was almost 10 years ago he said this to me. He said, if I ever decide to run for president, those are things I'm going to seek to address. And I also talk about this Obama factor. You know, for whatever reason, Obama hoodwinked everybody. You know, the black community thought that once Obama became president, this black utopia would descend upon America, and all of a sudden we get to move to the front of the bus, and, 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 and everything that we've been lacking and desiring all these decades were finally coming to fruition. And then they realized that Obama didn't care about the black community. You know what I say, Brian? I said the only African-American that benefited from the Obama administration was Barack Obama. He benefited the most from his presidency. The community itself, whenever I debate and discuss with people, I say name one thing, just one, that he did exclusive for the black community. And they can't. I win the argument every time when I say that. I so, win the argument so Darryl, he did not. So I got a chance. He was a leader. Right. He was not a people person. So here's Jim Brown. Uh, he was the number one athlete of the past century. He's been in activism before it was in him. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell. What they did in the 60s is, is just a how-to do it right, if you ask me. And that's when they used to sell uh, Jim Brown when he used to go with Syracuse down south. Okay, the black players stay in one hotel, the white in the other. And they refuse to, by the way. So he has a reason to really be angry. And he said, whatever you want to say, I, I asked him, like, what do you like about President Trump? He goes, he gave me a seat at the table. I could not get a return call from the Obama administration, and so many presidents did. So if Jim Brown's not getting attention, when he has a prison rehab program that teaches life skills and actually academic skills to prisoners, and you want to do uh, criminal justice reform, how could you not call Jim Brown, who's been doing it for 25 years? So he said he got a seat at the table, and that's, I think, what you got. You never said the president's perfect, but he listens. Am I, am I putting words in your mouth? No, you're absolutely right. And going back to Jim Brown, I said something to Jim Brown, and once again, I talk about it in the book. I said, Jim, why is it today's athletes do not make the social contributions the way you guys did? And, uh, you know, they, they don't, how to, don't know how to message. Doing, and you know what Jim said that I didn't think of? He said, in my day, professional athletes were all college graduates. 
And as a result, they had a different and expanded worldview. They weren't as narrow-minded, and they were able to articulate their opinions and ideas in a way that it would come across to the American public. But it's not like that anymore. You know, I even remember back in 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, got assassinated. In fact, I remember the day it happened because my father came upstairs and told us Dr. King just got shot. And the riots were breaking out, and James Brown had a concert the next day in Boston. And James Brown got up on the stage and said, we're better than that. He did what he could because of the responsibility that his celebrity uh, involved. He said, let's not tear up our communities. Let's not tear up this country. We're better than that. Let's demonstrate that as a people, we are better than just uh, rampant, wanton violence. I hear you. Uh, But, you know, these athletes and entertainers these days don't have that message because I'm being honest, they're just not as educated. No, not they have a right to make a living and doing what they do. But some of them need to just shut up and keep their social commentary to themselves because they're too too easily manipulated by the media. uh, uh, Daryl Scott's book is now and it's called uh, Nothing to Lose. But I want you to hear what the president's up against. Not only is he not getting... uh, Is he not getting credit or, or, or equal at least as some pat on the back for efforts he made in the African-American community. This is what constantly comes out from Democrats. His, his spreading of racism, the way he deals with, with, yes. with people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from, is absolutely sickening. Yes. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racist and they've existed. They've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. Does that? What's your take on his take? You know, I I have to be you know mindful of my position as a pastor and be respectful of your show and FCC. But Joe Biden is a lying sack. <laughs> That's all I can say. He's just totally distorting truth. He's outright fabrication, and he thinks because he's doing it in an unemotional delivery that people will believe him. Joe Biden has a track record of antagonism and uh, hostility towards the black community as a public servant, not as a private citizen, but as a public servant. Here's a guy that opposed busing. Here's a guy that said he didn't want his children growing up in a racial jungle. Here's a guy who eulogized and called his mentor, a former grand wizard of the KKK. Here's a guy that claims that he was the author of that 1994 crime bill that disproportionately incarcerated African Americans. He's the one that said, get those predators off the street, that they need to be locked in cages. More recently, he said that we all think alike. He said, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. Joe Biden is the uh, is the king of revisionist history right now. All we have to do, we can pull up the videos. We can just check his public service history, and we can see that But Joe Biden is full of it right there. He's the racist. He's the one. He said Barack Obama was the first clean black political candidate. What what is this guy? Who is he? Yeah. Uh, Articulate. He also called him articulate. Uh, yeah, Yeah. yeah, And that blew up his candidacy in 2008. Uh, pick up uh, Pastor Daryl Scott's book. It is excellent. Uh, it really gives you an insight to the president that I didn't know existed. Not that, you know, because that you have your own relationship and you were kind enough to expose it in Nothing to Lose. Congratulations, Pastor. Well, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity, Brian. You're my friend, man. Absolutely. Back at you. And, and, uh, and good luck at your you event today. From me, you got anything it. I can do, you have not because you asked not. <laughs> Go get him, Pastor. I appreciate it. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's more to know. 
Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. This is how we do social distancing in our state. That was great. COVID, more hunting. That's the plan for the future. So that was Christy Noem, governor of South Dakota. What was she doing? It sounds like she was shooting something. She said, less COVID, more hunting. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, are those ads fantastic on our channel? For Come her? to South Dakota. Oh, they are. It makes me want to go. I I mean, I went there. It seemed nice. But, I mean, you have to get, if you go to South Dakota, that is the epitome of small town America. I would agree. But I think they also highlight, right, the uh, warmer weather as opposed to the really long, cold winters. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, Sylvester Stallone is warning Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson is a wrecking ball because they're going to fight in November. Listen. Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I think that I think Mike might, might take him apart. You think it's going to be an early knockout? Well, let's put it this way. What do you think is going to work? A 22 against a 45? Roy Jones is a great, great fighter, but it's just as a matter of uh, physics. Any strategy for Jones? Do you think he should dance a lot, move away from, from the oh, champ? Like Fred Astaire. Keep moving, man. You're talking about everyone knows. Mike Tyson is a wrecking ball. And that is so cool. Of course, TMZ, they love doing those low-rent things, come up to a celebrity at the airport, and Sylvester Stallone would know. He might not have been a championship boxer, but the guy knows boxing, and they're going to fight in late November, and I've made inroads, and um, hopefully we'll get him on our show. With I've been trying to talk to Tyson. I talked to his people. The response was he loves he loves talking to you, but he's not talking to anyone yet. That's awesome. So yet being before the fight or after the fight? No, it'll be before. Nice. But he's not ready to promote it yet. It makes sense. Before election, why even bother? Evidently, uh, Joe Rogan did a big interview with him, and everyone's talking about he is training hard and different at the age of 53. So do you think uh, Stallone's assessment was accurate? I don't know. I don't know what Roy Jones has left. Just know this. If you don't know boxing, just know Roy Jones was the best pound-for-pound fighter maybe seven years, and he was that elusive, that good. In fact, almost boxing was too easy for him. But he ended up a light heavyweight uh, and then announced on HBO. Very curious. It was the right pick because he can't get hurt. However, if you are not in shape, you can get knocked out by a lighter guy. And we saw that with – We've seen that before, light heavyweights, Michael Spinks against uh, Larry Holmes. And uh, you have nothing to add to that. I know that. I feel like I already contributed a lot. <laughs> I did much more than normal in sports. Next. Benjamin Netanyahu brings his dirty laundry over to the White House. Netanyahu takes advantage of free laundry service available to all foreign leaders. The uh, the laundry racket dates back uh, years, and aides of both Barack Obama and Donald Trump have described the familiar sight of Israeli laundry bags, Israel laundry bags, while Israeli diplomats deny the allegation. Israel media says the Washington Post report matches years of reporting by Israeli journalists. That's kind of cool. I think it's hilarious. Maybe the White House has, like, extra special smelling laundry detergent. Oh, put it this way. Remember, famously, Netanyahu got the backdoor treatment with uh, Barack Obama. Never would have been able to use the washer dryer, I am sure. So he's taking advantage of it now and bringing an extra? Why wouldn't he? Next, Florida man is suing a McDonald's for over a million dollars after allegedly chipping his tooth on a McNugget. Must have hit a vein? How do you chip a tooth on a McNugget? That's a godsend. Who wants to eat something that can chip your tooth? 
I don't think he was planning on biting into a nugget and have something really hard in there. Well, let's be yeah. honest. They put the whole chicken into the grinder. You have no idea by the time they get the breadcrumb on what actually survived. You got to get the fancy chicken strips right. now. But easy on the lawsuits? A million dollars for a chip tooth? What about a veneer? The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.